Continuing in Isaiah this morning, after a week off last week, we will be looking into Isaiah 58 today. We are getting closer and closer to the end. I guess that's a safe statement to say, we're getting closer to the end. And uh, we're going to see today that God is not real pleased with with his people. Um, And we're going to start off today with just a moment of devotion to try to inspire you to be more faithful to reading your Bible and learning. Um, According to Jerry Bridges, a great writer, who in his book, Disciplines of Grace, um, mentions this survey that was taken back in the 1990s at a Bible conference. There were, he says, scores of people were asked if they could just give the basic gospel. So, I don't know, 40, 60, 80 people were asked, what is the basic gospel? And according to that study, only one person, one person was able to give a credible account of what the gospel is. Um... And this was at a Bible conference, a conservative Bible conference. That, that's scary. Um, and I would exhort all of you to make sure that you know the gospel. In case an unbeliever, in case you need to explain it to an unbeliever, you'd be able to. You're commanded to be able to do that anyway uh, in First Peter. And... Um, to study your Bibles, to study doctrine, read good Christian literature, and make sure that each one of us is doing our part. Um, And one of the old covenant prophets, I think it was um, Hosea, God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I'm not talking about being able to talk intelligibly with a seminary graduate I'm saying just learn the gospel be able to tell people that they're under the wrath of God and that they need to repent of their sins and that Jesus Christ is the only way out or something of that effect and pray for the church pray for the church that we will do a better job all of us alright last week as an introduction we read James 1, verses 22 through 27. I will briefly go back over that because I think only about two-thirds of us that are here today were here yesterday. So if you turn to James chapter 1, just as an introduction. Verse 22 tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. What James is telling us there is that if we sit under the sermon, if we read good Christian literature and it doesn't change us, then it's not doing us any good. We're deceiving ourselves. And then he goes on to give an analogy. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself, he goes away, and at once forgets what it was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, 
being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. So loving others and helping others uh, is mandated. That is true, undefiled religion and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And it's what I'm hoping we'll do today is keep this passage in mind as we read through Isaiah 58. Okay, so we will turn to Isaiah 58. Remember the last thing we read in Isaiah 57 was the wicked are like the tossing sea where it cannot be quiet and its water, waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And uh, we're talking about no peace ever for wicked people from the time they're conceived in their mother's womb until the all eternity, throughout all eternity, they never have peace with God. And it's as constant, it is as constant as waters toss up mire and dirt on the seashore. Never ending, a never ending war with God that they will not win. So a warning for these people in Isaiah's time, a warning for us. And this morning... Travis, I'll have you read for us uh, 58, 1 through 8. Cry out loudly, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a ram's horn. Tell my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways. Like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God, they ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife. You strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this, a day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood. And your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Okay. Okay, now, your notes, the seriousness of Judah's sin is shown forth in these verses. We see this. Isaiah is to cry aloud. He's to lift up his voice. 
he is to declare their transgressions. Um, there is no bones about it. The Lord is not pleased, and he sends his prophet, his messenger, to proclaim loudly and clearly that these people are doing wrong, that they are sinning. And from the reading, there in your notes, the sin that is being denounced by God is the sin of what? What is their basic sin according to Isaiah's lawsuit right here? Okay. I'll tell you. It's hypocrisy. All right. Sin of hypocrisy. All right. They had their worship ritual down just right. They were doing everything just right. You know, they were they were following the uh, <clears throat> the um, God's law, uh, the regulatory principle of worship. Worship they were probably following, and um, they so they imagined that they practiced righteousness. Yeah, they were doing everything just right, so they had to be righteous before God, right? simply because they made all the motions right. And they also thought that they were in wonderful fellowship with God, according to verse 2. They seek me daily. They delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. They delight to draw near to God. I can just imagine in front of the temple, the uh, worship leaders, the singers, singing something like this. Jehovah is just all right with me. <laughs> Remember the Doobie Brothers? Jesus yeah, is just Jesus. all right with me. They thought they were just okay. They thought they were just all right with Jehovah. That was their attitude. Well, Isaiah's going to bring them some bad news. Jehovah may be just all right with them, but they are not just all right with Jehovah. They are under his condemnation. They are in the not-too-distant future. In fact, they're going to be headed... Babylon because of what they were doing. They were deceived. This would be just like what we read James talking about the man who hears the word and does not change. He does what he wants to do. He deceives himself. These Jews were a bunch of self-deceived people. <clears throat> However, they did not practice righteousness according to God's standard. You have no righteousness if, if you don't do it according to God's standard. And one thing I want to point out, in verse 3, about the middle of verse 3, it says, you seek your own pleasure. And 
the ESV has a marginal reading that says business, your own business. A lot of good scholars think that word should be business. And then also in verse 13, we have that phrase twice. From doing your own business or pleasure and then seeking your own pleasure. In other words, they were doing what? Even though they thought they were righteous with God, they were doing what they were wanting to do, seeking their own pleasure, their own business, instead of doing what God told them to do. So they were actually seeking their own pleasure. They oppressed workers in verse 3. They're, and the, now they're asking the question too in verse 3. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. He's telling them why. And oppose all your workers. If it doesn't seem like God is doing what he's promised to do, don't blame him. Look at yourself. These people were blaming God. They thought they were pleasing him. They had everything down just right. But yet God says, no, I'm not going to bless you. You're seeking your own pleasure. And you oppress workers. You come here and worship me and you live like the devil. The problem's with you. It's not with me. So verse 3, they ask, why are you doing this to us, Lord? And he says, this is the reason you seek your own pleasure and you oppress your workers. The problem's with you, not with me. And then he goes on in verse 4 and says, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. So they quarrel and fight even to the point of violence. And if you look back at the end of chapter 56, a couple of pages back, it says, verse 12, Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. <clears throat> um, so, based on that, where they fill themselves with strong drink, and then they get in fights here. It looks like their worship services end up in drunken brawls. It's like they're probably getting some kind of theological fight or something, and they end up having a drunken brawl. That's your um, blank there. It appears their worship services may have ended up in a drunken brawl. So, Yahweh is not going to be pleased with that. I'm going to read something out of Derek Thomas here. <clears throat> the, he, he notes their observance of fasting and of the Sabbath was characterized by self-pleasing. In other words, God had said, you, you seek your own pleasure. Fasting is by definition self-denial. The Sabbath too, as Matthew Henry suggested, was made a day of rest so that it might be a day of holy work. Self-denial is at the heart of both. 
denying oneself legitimate fare, which is fasting, or time that one calls one's own, the Sabbath. Give up their time, they give up food. Okay? But the formalist of Isaiah's time, while observing the letter of the law, the fast days increased after the fall of Jerusalem. They were unforgiving, they were impatient, they were proud. Formal religion is unrepentant religion. In essence, self-pleasing is as old as a Garden of Eden. So it's what he's saying here is that formal religion without it is a lot of times without repentance, just like here. So, like I said, they were self-deceived. Um, <clears throat> they seem, as some people note, and some people say this is true of the church nowadays, and this, this is an issue you're going to come up against, and you're going to need an answer for it. So we're going to look into it here just for a minute. They seem to have it right in their head, but not in their heart. Many people today distinguish head religion from heart religion. What should we have? Should we have head religion being right on doctrine and ritual? Or should we have heart religion being nice and being loving? What should we do? Why should you have to choose? You know, that's the way you phrase the question. You have to have both. Okay. Can you prove that by scripture? There's well, one yeah. easy place to go to. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So you do it both, heart and head. You make sure you know the right things, and you make sure you do the right things, just like James tells us in James chapter 1. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the big common problem is people think it's all heart. And the head is a minor issue, you know, or knowing your doctrine is a minor issue compared to emotional, emotionalism. Yep. Um, God is love, and that's, yeah. it. that's the end of it. Okay. Let me get the verse here that I want to get to here. I'm on the right verse but the wrong chapter. Hold on just a second. The very end of verse 7 says, You shall, and, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Ortland makes a statement that the Hebrew here means the human race. Hide yourself from your own flesh. And just to trace out but what I've been saying and the point Mike made, are you aware, for example, that 24,000 people die from hunger and hunger-related causes every day, most of them children? And how many are slipping into eternity without Christ? God cares about that. He wants us to do something about it. True revival isn't a private religious joyride. It is the power of a future, better world enabling us to stop saying those people aren't my responsibility. 
it gets us busy doing what we can about poverty, illiteracy, slavery, abortion, political manipulation, people being treated like animals, people going to eternal hell. We don't need three years of seminary to get the motivation to obey God in his way. Three days in a third world poverty or just three seconds in hell would motivate us all. So now he's not a heart only person, but that a lot of times is the way that a heart only person would study. Let's just help other people. Let that be that. Doctrine divides. Love brings us together. Where have we met this attitude that we don't need doctrine, we don't need creeds or confessions, we just need to go out and help people and bring the world together? Where have we heard that before and it has been so devastating? Everybody's talking right now about the Jesus movement, that movie that just came out. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's an earlier time too, back back in the early twentieth century. And it was in oh. it was in the denomination we were in then, early twentieth century. You also hear it on the, you know, on the sexual issues side. You know, if two people of the same sex love each other, that conquers everything, and it doesn't matter. The rest of the law doesn't matter. There's a lot of that. You're right about all that. But the um, what I was referring to was the social gospel that hit all the mainline churches in the late 1800s and uh, and in the 1900s. They abandoned, basically abandoned the creeds and doctrine, and uh, they just uh, they pre- they tried to save the world apart from the gospel. All right, and then the part about the head religion being right on doctrine and in ritual. Um, of course, that always plagued the, some people in the church. That uh, and, and that is a problem here. So the problem with the mainline churches a century ago would be head, no head, all heart, so to speak, no doctrine. Our social gospel. And then here in Isaiah 58, the problem is what you might call the head. All ritual, all doctrine, and no practice. No worrying about your fellow human being. Jesus says you're to do both. Okay, any further comments on that? In a way, it's hard to separate those two things. I mean, you talked about the regular principle of worship. In that, it's also included. That's what's good for your heart, too. So, I don't know. You can't make a strict line there. You can... It could be maybe distinguished, but not separated. Right. So, yeah, make sure that we're doing what we can to love our neighbor, 
they sure were doing what we can to love God. First two commandments, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. Okay, anything else on that? I spent some time on that because we come up against that. Okay, now, back to your notes. God tells them that instead of doing things their way, they should be humbling themselves and looking back, and, and looking back in the last chapter, they should be coming with a contrite spirit. God's assessment is they are a bunch of hypocrites, according to verses 6 and 7. A bunch of hypocrites. Is this not the fast that I choose to lose the, loose the bonds of wickedness? All right, that's true fasting. To undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. So, that's true fasting. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? That's not true fasting. So we have true fasting, which is to be, come with a humble and contrite spirit, and the false fasting is the way they are doing things. They are oppressing people. As one commentator says, the lower you go, the better fellowship you have with God. God hates pride, but he gives grace to the humble. All right, now verses, verse 8 through the end of the chapter. Um, I will ask uh, Elaine if you'll read that for us. Then shall your light break forth from the dawn, like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking with wickedness, if you pout or pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. I just go to verse 12. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets dwell in. Okay. The reason I told you to stop at 12 is that's probably about as far as we'll get. We'll get in a little bit on the Sabbath day next week. Okay, in your notes, if they would repent, they would have blessing after blessing. They weren't doing too good, so they need to repent. One thing, they'd be healed according to verse 8. <clears throat> your light would break forth as the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Okay, and also in verse 8, they would be protected. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So they would have protection in the front, 
and protection in the back if they would humble themselves before God and practice true worship and live right. All right, they would have effective prayer according to verse 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. So, God, so is what we'll read next week in chapter 59. Their iniquities have separated them from God. And God does not hear because, not because his arm is too shortened to save and because his ear is deaf, it's because of their sin. All right, then in verse 10, they will have their gloom turned into gladness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as a noonday. In other words, happy days will be here again, right? Sky above will be clear again. Okay? And they will bear fruit. They would be fruitful. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So repentance brings all of these things. And then finally be restored in verse 12. Your ancient ruins will be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer, the breach, and the restorer of streets to dwell in. So this is how devastating it is for people in the church to live like hypocrites. It causes all these terrible things, and but repentance will bring these wonderful things that God says here. You can't worship on Sunday and live like the devil throughout the week and expect any kind of blessing from God. And uh, based on what we've seen a lot in the churches, uh, the, the church in general in this country uh, has, has, has a problem. We don't know anything and we don't do anything right is basically the state of the church in this country now. All right, I think I'm going to hold off here because I don't want to get into the, those last two verses. We'll save that for next week. Anybody have anything to add to anything we have said this morning? This, the whole lesson reminds me of a verse that says something like that God desires our obedience rather than our sacrifice. Yeah. That's in First Samuel, I believe, when Saul had offered a sacrifice to God before Samuel got there. And Samuel disobeyed. He wasn't supposed to do that. He wasn't a priest. And Saul disobeyed. Yeah, Saul disobeyed, yeah. So Samuel said, God, uh, God is pleased, something, something like this. I'm paraphrasing. God is pleased with obedience and not just sacrifice. So living according to God's standards is what we need to do. Okay, Mike, I'll have you close us in prayer, please. Our Father in heaven, 